I really realized I really thank a lot all of the waiters that I happen to interact with. I don't know why, but I realized that I say thank you, thank you very much, thank you so much, a lot. You're a nice person. Well, yeah, but at the same time, I realized that I don't really thank so much my friends and family, which is very shameful. And when you have it all visualized, it really, you know, it, it jumps at you. <laughs> It's What's the Point from 538. My name is Jody Avergan. For 52 weeks, that's a year if my math checks out, Stephanie and Georgia, my two guests today, mailed postcards to each other featuring a data visualization of something from their lives. Each week they would pick a topic, number of animals they see, number of times they laughed, outfits they wore, and each would collect the data, visualize it, and drop it in the mail on a postcard. 52 weeks have come and gone, and now the two of them are here to talk about what they learned. And also, this is really exciting, they have agreed to collaborate on this show's first ever listener project. We want you and me and anyone else to do some data gathering and visualizing and mail us a postcard. We'll talk about it in a minute, but first, as always, a number that caught our eye this week. It's the significant digit. Can I tell you a number? Okay, yeah. The number this week is uh, 45%, which is there was a study of mammals in Australia. And over the course of the study, they classified mammals into cute, kind of not so cute and ugly. And they found that 45% of the mammals in Australia are ugly. Okay, okay. The kangaroos are not that pretty. Oh, you would put kangaroos in ugly. I mean, they are not that pretty. Like, you know, it's not what we expect to be pretty, but in the cartoons, they make them pretty. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. But, you know, these are these are animals like rats and oh, stuff okay. like that. But I also think the, the point of this study was that the, the uglier animals tend to not get researched as much as the cute animals. And so, you know, things like rats and so forth that we think of as ugly are falling behind because it's just people don't want to study them or save them. Well, yeah, because, I mean, we consider them, like, to be problematic for us. You know, rats are mice, are things, and they get into homes, and they destroy our things. Plus, it's our reference to be pretty or not pretty, you know, which is not really the reality of things, you know. It should be pretty the things that is the most functional, the most successful, the most... Are you a scientist? You're making a really good case. (laughs) Are you an engineer? So you think about utility and all these things. So it should be functional. You know, beauty should be part of what you can do, not how you look like. That is the best defense of a rat that I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Well, you know, Chinese consider rats like the, the most intelligent animal you know, living thing. And, you know, in the calendar, the rat is number one. And it's because it's resourceful, you know, and it gets around and it knows how to adapt very quickly. Uh, You have convinced me. I want to put all funding research into rats immediately. (laughs) Take all my tax dollars and let's let's research math. So that is on the street. That is Laura Ventoso, who... uh, I don't even know if we need Chadwick Matlin uh, to kind of add to that because she kind of said it all. But nevertheless, Chad, here you are in the studio to add a little context to this significant digit. Laura, when you want to come write for 538 about anything involving science, engineering, 
open invitation. Yeah, seriously. But you are so you are kind of our newly minted science editor. On a good day, yeah. But you are also, of course, the editor of this show and the host of our sports podcast. But tell us a little bit more about this study and I guess this larger sense that some creatures get more funding love or conservation love than than others. Right. So the researchers in this study that uh, looked at all the mammals, not all, all but many of the mammals in, in, in Australia, and categorize them uh, in three categories, the good, the bad, the ugly. The good are mammals that look cute to our human eyes, as, as Miss Ventoso uh, pointed out. And then the, um, the bad are species that are, are, are ha- wreaking havoc economically most often. And so I think there's an example in there, I, I believe, of a, of a, of a non- uh, native fox. So that like an was invasive eating. species. Exactly. I think in Australia, probably a particular problem. Yeah. Uh, and then the ugly are species, and I think there was something like 45% of the species in this paper were, were ugly, and, and they were mammals that you just don't think about, that, that you sort of would see in a nature documentary, but otherwise sort of forget. For like two seconds in the nature documentary, and then they cut to like the seal or the cute you exactly. Know, and and the only way that you see in the nature documentary is when they're sort of like nuzzling, when the <laughs> ugliness is nuzzling up on something else that's ugly. <laughs> but they are obviously important to the ecosystem. So, I mean, like, is this a real problem that these quote unquote, you know, uglier or less kind of uh, showcasey species aren't getting research and f- conservation efforts? So I think uh, there, there are two ways to, to look at this. Research is one thing, and I think that's where there really um, is an argument that research should be more evenly distributed because you have to think of nature as a system as opposed to just sort of like a... There's uh, there's no Bernie Sanders for nature, right? The, the top 1% of, anim- of mammals are getting too much research. Uh, but but that really is what we're seeing. We're seeing a stratification of, of where the research uh, uh, attention goes. Um, and, and so... One thing to think about is the research, and then the other is the conservation effort. And money's involved in, in both yeah. of those things, and I think that's important here. The market, unfortunately, favors the, the cute. And I think in the paper, the researchers make the point that a lot of these quote-unquote ugly species, little has been done besides identify that they exist. Uh, th- th- we don't have a sense for uh, how they live, um, how they operate, how they might be important to the ecology, and why they might be worth saving. Right. And you do mention money. I mean, I I think that with these showcase species and conservation efforts around, you know, seals or lions or rhinos, that money and that funding that's easy to raise around that, you know, in theory trickles down and gets distributed to these other creatures as well. Yeah, and conservation is is a strange world. I mean, uh, we've written at 538 about how um, uh, gun enthusiasts are actually helping conserve the butterfly in America because of licensing that that that, that they're buying in order to to go hunt or fish. that that eventually trickles down to save something like a butterfly. And so it's not as one-to-one of a world as maybe uh, we'd like to be able to make sense of this. But what we're seeing is that research-wise, and, and research can often be a leading indicator for where, where the conservation efforts are going, is that we don't know enough about certain animals in order to know whether to save them. All right, Chad, thank you very much. Thanks, Jody. Stephanie Posovic and Georgia Lupi are here. They did this year-long project, Dear Data, sending data-driven postcards to one another um, across the ocean. And Georgia lives in New York City, so she was able to come into the studio. Georgia, welcome to 538. Thank you so much for having me. And Stephanie, you are joining us uh, by Google Hangout. Uh, And where are you? 
I'm in London. Right. So. And that's where you've been for this project, right? Yes. Yeah. So thank you for having me there remotely. <laughs> yeah. So this is a, this has been a London to New York, a uh, year long postcard exchange. Now, how often does this happen where you guys actually just talk to each other in non postcard form? <laughs> This is such a big project in our lives right now that I think um, we see each other on video chat probably once a week, and we have a dedicated Slack account now. Oh, everyone has so Slack, we talk yeah. a lot. <laughs> but actually, we started to talk more after the project finished uh, because the project led to like a book and other kind of collaborations. So I guess like during the year long of our postcards exchange, it was mainly postcards and uh, texts to figure out the topic for next week. <laughs> Right. But you didn't have like a rule of we only communicate through postcard for a year, did you? I mean, no, um, Stephanie and I, we weren't friends before starting the year data. In fact, we only met twice before um, starting this year long correspondence. And the idea was definitely to get to know each other through our data. Right. So what was the spark? Who came up with this idea? You said you weren't friends, but obviously you you knew each other somehow. So how did yeah. it all start? We actually knew of each other's work because we both worked and work in the data visualization field. And we were also familiar with the fact that we both shared a very handcrafted approach to data visualization. In fact, uh, we both don't code and we work very manually with data. We sketch with data a lot. And um, while well, we met at this festival called IO in Minneapolis, which is an amazing and very um, vibrant art and design festival. And over drinks, uh, we decided that actually we uh, discovered that we also had personal similarities. I think all good projects start over a drink. Um, and so, yeah, we said, oh, we definitely need to collaborate. And so we both went back to our respective cities and then started emailing each other. And so it was an entire summer of emailing back and forth, figuring out, you know, what can we do? let's let's draw data, but how can we do a collaborative drawing project if we live on two different continents? And so that's why the idea of postcards came into play as a way of um, making our distance our most important asset, I guess. But why postcards and not, uh, you know, PDFs to one another or um, something else that I would imagine two data professionals might decide as their medium? Yeah, I think that the physicality has really played an important role uh, in the Dear Data project. And it was very important to us that the weekly data was experienced in the physical format because, as I was saying, uh, one of the things that we really share is a very analog approach to data visualization. And so the hand drawing and the hand, also the hand crafting of a physical output was important to us because we realized that maybe um, by um, drawing data on physical outputs, uh, we were trying to add human nuances to the data world and maybe also be able to speak about data to people that are not necessarily into that. And it was also nice because we didn't send each other any digital scans of our postcard before. And so we were kind of like eagerly waiting, right? Really taking the pleasure school, right? exactly of <laughs> checking your mailbox over time. In a sec, we'll dive into some of the specifics, and I think we should just yeah. go through some of the weeks. There were obviously 52 of these week mm -hmm. by week. But in general, can you just describe like what the postcards would look like? Did you have rules about kind of how you would craft each postcard and format it, if that's the right word? Yeah. I mean, that, we set up all these rules in advance before we began the project. But on, the, on one side of the postcard, the front, um, is just the visualization or the da data drawing. Um, and that, our intention with that is that it would hopefully look like 
a beautiful drawing, even if you didn't know there was data behind it. And then when you flip it over, um, you'll have the address and the stamp, of course, but then also a legend. Um, so that way people, well, Georgia could see how to read the data I sent her and vice versa. Um, I think what we really like about the project is that you would um, look at the front of the postcard and then flip it to look at the legend and then flip it again to look at the front. And so we were kind of interested in this very back and forth action um, as part of it. So that was another thing we liked about it as well. And so when you would get one, would you kind of first engage with it as just beautiful art for a second? Or were you like eagerly flipping it over and saying, okay, I got to know what what's going on here? <laughs> uh, that's interesting. I think I, I was personally um, eagerly flipping it. But sometimes like over over the course of the year, I was also like when I got the postcard, saving it and saving my reading of the postcard for a moment when I really had time. So sometimes I'm just like glance at the back and then say, okay, let's wait for, I don't know, <laughs> getting upstairs, um, you know, pouring me a coffee and take some time to read the data. And that's also important to us like we we're both spending time with our data for crafting the postcards and spending time reading the mm -hmm. each other data and that was kind of like our time of spend you know our way of spending time together but in general as someone who does this for a living as in addition to this project do you feel like all data viz should also be beautiful on its own right or is it like <laughs> only matter when it's telling a specific story i think that beauty is a very important entry point for any kind of readers to get interested about the visualization and maybe to be willing to explore more so i believe that uh I always say that beauty cannot replace functionality for sure, but like beauty and functionality together achieve incredibly greater results. So I think that beauty is an asset. Let's let's jump to week 42, which was a week of laughter. And so I guess you pick the topics pretty generally, right? And each of you interpret within that exactly what that means. I'm going to collect data around a week of laughter. So I don't know, Georgia, how did you in this week say what was your definition of laughter. Yeah, definitely. So it, it was definitely interesting to uh, see also each other response to the data collection. We didn't really set up any rules for how to gather the data. We will um, decide a topic like laughters and each of us would go about finding her questions on the data. So for me, that was a particular week because I was in Italy visiting uh, my family and also the office of my company in Italy. And so it was a great topic to really record in form of nice memories, the um, funny time that I had with my friends or with my designers in the office and with my family. So what I was interested in collecting was uh, what I was laughing about. And so what was the topic? that, you know, generate the laughters, but also who were the other people around me laughing about. And so, um, and, and also um, who triggered the laughter? And so was it like something that happened or was it something that a person said? And I 
kind of crafted my postcards around this idea of a network of laughter. And so the idea that a laughter connects two people. And so I really crafted a um, hand-drawn network of um, the topics and the people that made me laugh and that I um, was laughing with. So I'm looking at your postcard now and on the front, I mean, if I, you know, if I just saw this as a painting, I would say this is, you know, these are like petals of a dandelion <laughs> or something, right? But this is actually connected, networked laughter and each color represents a different person who who laughed and was connecting to each other I... well yeah each each element is a person and so you can see depicted my boyfriend my mom my grandmother um my grandfather um and also my mm, people in the studio and actually the petals that you described to me sound seems more like something that is going to get big. And so, I don't know, I just like wanted to oh. give this idea of something that gets big as a laughter. And all of the um, all of the dashed line represent exactly who was provoking um, a laughter to whom. So, Stephanie, do you remember how you decided to tackle this or what kind of challenge it presented? Um, well, this is an interesting week for me. It was also a special week for me in that um, it was the week of my birthday. So, and I was also going out a lot because it was in summer and we were all drinking outside of pubs. And so I, I found this week to be a real challenge. It was like the first week where, you know, every time you laugh, your, you know, your friends say, oh, you've got to laugh. You've got to, like, you laugh. You have to mark this down for your, for your postcards. And so I found that this is the first week where um, the data tracking began to get in the way of me engaging with my friends. And so I had to actually ban me tracking laughter on the um, night of my birthday drinks. And well, my husband banned me, but <laughs> I, it wouldn't have been wise to be tracking all of my laughter at my birthday dinner in a posh restaurant. So I think it was like, for me, this is a week where I realized that while we really enjoyed this project, because, you know, gathering data in our lives helps us be more aware and and really notice things in our life we wouldn't notice otherwise. So there's it's a balance, and and some things maybe shouldn't be tracked because they do actually detract from your um, living and experience. And I feel like maybe laughter is is one of those things that should just be left as an unknown. But... Well, the other option is to just have very droll and boring friends, right? And just <laughs> yeah. surround yeah. yourself with seriousness. Yeah. Right? Have very boring <laughs> friends who like who don't care about your project. It's because all of our friends care about us doing it properly that they, they all. So they would nudge you. They'd be like, Oh, you just laughed. Yeah, like you, you got to pull out yeah, your notebook exactly. and do it. But talk exactly. a little bit more about, because I think that that is really the sort of through line for this entire project is uh, this notion of attentiveness, right. Mm -hmm. And the way that doing this really made you aware of what, of what you were tracking that week. But then I imagine just in general that bled to the other parts of your life. So, on balance, like you were just saying, was that a good thing? Did this help you be, be more aware or do you kind of not want to live a quantified life like this? It was very intense and intensive and uh, sometimes nerve-wracking for sure. But I personally think that it made me realize um, very vividly how I normally live in the future or in the past and not in the present. I'm not a person that can really do meditation, but there's acknowledging the moments when they happen and acknowledging by having to track them and to add attributes of what 
else was going on in that moment really helped me being focused on the now as I have never been able to do before. And also, it made me very aware of my surroundings, of my city and how I live my city, because like by tracking daily patterns over um, different topics, I really realized, um, like, not only if I were more in Manhattan or more in Brooklyn, but also how I interact with my surroundings. For example, um, like in a week of um, urban animals, when we had to track and to report all of the animals that um, I've been seeing, that we've been seeing. I realized there are so many animals in, in New York, and Believe I didn't know that. So Every once in a while, like a coyote wanders into yeah. Central Park. But there is a range of the kinds of things that you were tracking, mm-hmm. right? So there was sort of physical things like animals or uh, clocks or, you know, and then there were sounds. But then there were emotions like, yeah. uh, you know, my rela- relationship with your boyfriend or husband, um, indecision. So – were some of those kind of more emotional ones more satisfying or trickier? Were the physical ones? I mean, could you can you kind of start to say, this is the kind of data that I want to keep tracking and this is the kind mm-hmm. of data that I'd rather leave as a little more mysterious? I mean, I would say that I think some of the most challenging weeks, for me at least, were um, weeks where we were tracking things about ourselves that might not necessarily have been something we wanted to know, like we had a, a week of tracking every time we felt envious and then also a week of tracking negative thoughts. And that was actually, uh, it, it was really challenging because, it, you know, you really forced yourself to look at, yeah, look at a party you didn't want to see. And so I think emotionally, I think those were difficult weeks, but it, I think it does make you um, realize not only living in the present and being aware of things around you, but it's also about where you're choosing to put your focus. So like when you're focusing on uh, gathering data that is negative, like it, it does make you feel bad or, or not the best. And, but then when we were tracking data on positive thoughts or animals or things that we really enjoy, then that actually put us in a better mood. So in week three, you did a week of thank yous, right, where you tried to quantify every thank you. So, Georgia, how did you – was this a week of every time you said thank you to someone, every time someone said thank you to you? Um, Well, I generally um, over-detail not only my data drawing but also my data collection. And so I both recorded who I was saying thank you to and who uh, was saying thank you to me. And I sort of then um, composed this visualization when I contrasted, like compared the thank you that I say to the thank you that the same kind of person said to me. It was mm-hmm. very laborious because I also added a lot of attributes about like what language was I saying thank you uh, to because I'm Italian and I still interact in Italian with some of my pals. And yeah, I'm looking at the yeah. I'm looking at the legend here and you have, you know, was it a real life thank you, a digital yeah. thank you, a over the phone? Did they really mean thank you when they said thank you? Exactly. Uh, and all of this is contained in... I, I am out of words to describe exactly what kind of chart I'm looking at here, but it's contained in a very detailed kind of dot and line chart. Yeah, but I mean, I 
had fun uh, looking at the patterns in my data, especially for this week, because I really realized only when I visualized the data, and actually a little bit also when I was tracking them, but more vividly when I, um, you know, visualized it, how many things I say, how many things I say to stranger. I really thank a lot all of the waiters that I happen to interact with. I don't know why, but I realized that I say, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. A lot. You're a nice person. Well, yeah, but at the same time, I realized that I don't really thank so much my friends and family, which is very shameful. And when you have it all visualized, it really, you know, it, it jumps at mm-hmm. you. And Stephanie, you're uh, at, at the end of this, you came up with, again, I'm going to try my best at what? These look like st- like stalactites to me or stalagmites? Uh, yeah, which are the ones that hang down? But it's a bunch of downward pointing triangles that sort of overlap with each other and are shaded in different ways. Yeah, I, I, I think, um, I don't know if like if anyone who's ever looking at the postcards will realize that Georgia is definitely more detailed in her data tracking than me. <laughs> I'm obsessive. Uh, it's different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like I, she would always send me these postcards and I'd be like, there's, there's just no way I'd be able to s- sustain that on my end. Um, but I think like that week of thank yous for me, it was a funny one for me because I was traveling. So I was traveling to Finland um, for to speak at a conference in Helsinki. And I was kind of on my own a lot. And so I didn't really say thank you to very many people. And there, like sometimes I did say thank you in Finnish. But generally, I wasn't even saying it very much because I didn't even know how to say thank you very well in Finnish. So I think what's interesting about like, every single week is that weirdly like they still really stick in my memory even though they were over a year ago i'm I'm just noticing this here i mean i know you guys are are working on a book and you're sort of this is your project but gosh i i don't feel like i would be able to remember you know week 13 of the last year but this is really making you kind of plant a flag yeah that was really important to us i mean i really still am able and i mean the project started in september 1st 2014 and it ended in september 1st 2015 but that year is so vivid in my memory and it's really paced by the time that you know the time span of the week that it's so much a source of nice memories we are really able to remember a lot of like things that happened and the postcards are actually really entry point to all of our life for that week yeah it's a journal it's a data diary so we've talked a little bit i guess we've been mostly talking about kind of what this project has done to each of you respectively as you've done it but like obviously at the heart of this was about your relationship to each other right Mm -hmm. and learning about each other so i mean what did you learn about stephanie georgia in over the course of this that you feel like maybe you wouldn't have had you just been i don't know pen pals or just chatted on the phone or yeah um it's it's a very interesting question uh let me start a bit from far away i believe that uh there's a close relationship between our activities and so the very mundane and daily and ordinary things that we do and our personalities and so our identities so imagining that for a year we've been sharing um the, with the other person, so many aspects of our days with no blind spots. So like really covering actually 52 topics, like our activities in this, but also our thought, our routines, our belongings also. Um, 
So what I'm saying is, I've been watching Stephanie's days, routines, habits, <laughs> desires, complaints for a year, and the very difference between um, getting to know her through her data as opposed as um, through conversation or regular correspondence is, on the one hand, this um, very assiduous pace of communication, and so this very intense, so we track many, many times a day, but also, uh, and we also sometimes touch on that, the fact that we shared also our flaws our, you know, jiki habits in form of data, so in form of number, helped us not being afraid to share that aspect to the other person. And so we were very honest in a way that probably we wouldn't have been just in like random conversations in cafes. Were there any topics or uh, data sets of data that you considered doing and then said, no, that's too hmm. personal? I... I don't think we. I don't think we did. Um, did have any? I think the only time we really touched upon it was uh, like near the end of the project, where we had a week of uh, data privacy. Privacy. I live. In, I live in the UK now. You now. live in I, London. I use yeah. both terms, <laughs> but I think that was the one where I remember I was noting down everything I couldn't say to Georgia, like all the things that happened in the week that I wouldn't want anyone to know, or maybe only my husband, I'd want him to know, or, you know, like the things. But I you're describing like an actual diary, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is what yeah. most people, when, when you say diary, that's what, what it's for, right? It's for yourself, not to put on a postcard and send to someone exactly. else. I mean, but even then, like weirdly, you know, when I drew my postcard for this week, I made this design where there's all these black, there's all these colored bits that are obscured by big black inky circles to like show how they're kind of being hidden. So mm -hmm. I deliberately, I, I was very general with the type of data I was collecting. So I, I like intentionally obscured this private data and sent it, but still just by send like tracking such intimate, very, very personal data. And even though obscured sending it to Georgia was like still quite a kind of emotionally uh, charged thing to do. I really feel like we've pushed the limit of what we would be willing to share <laughs> with each other. And it has like made a difference in our relationship now. I mean, we definitely talk a lot more. And, and while we've been working on the book, we, we gossip in ways, gossip and, and really talk about personal stuff that I actually don't talk about with some of my friends in London. So, I mean, that's very important to me. Uh, let's go to week 16, which was uh, a week of wardrobe where um, the thing that strikes me about this week is that both of you did this and sent each other your postcards and your visualizations actually look pretty similar to to me at least. Right, yes. Both of you went with, yeah. with like heavily colored vertical lines, uh, very dense. Um, Stephanie's yours definitely a little more dense. But what was your reaction <laughs> when you were like, oh – was this the first time when you when you kind of both hit on the same look for your visualization? It's funny because there has been a lot of time where all times where we were um, 
in a way experimenting with the same uh, technique or visual style. For example, we started on the first three weeks. If you look at the first three weeks, are practically all black and white. And like at week four, for some reasons, we both used colors. <laughs> and then like at weeks, uh, at week 20, we started to experiment with collage just because Stephanie um, um, threw this idea and said, oh, but we can also experiment with other material. And okay, like the week after we experimented with collage. But yeah, it's definitely, definitely similar. Um, and also this week 16 is interesting because it's when we realize that we can also communicate things about ourselves through data beyond the daily tracking and so making a survey of what we own. And that's also one thing that going back to your point about how um, like what we know about each other now, like I don't know what's in the closets or in the beauty products of most of my friends. <laughs> well, now I know what's in um, Stephanie's closet. We were talking earlier about um, what is it like when we receive the postcards and, um, you know, one part of it is seeing, you know, we've each approached it from a very particular way. And then when you see the other person's response and you're like, oh, wow, I never would have actually thought of that. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, that's very similar to what I've done. So I think like that sort of discovery is was another part of the project. So on that front, and as sort of data viz professionals, you know, I, I happen, my desk happens to be near the data viz team here at mm -hmm. 538. So every once in a while, I kind of overhear these conversations that they're having about, okay, we have this data set, a writer wants to visualize something in some way, what's the best method to to do that you know is it a scatter plot or a histogram yeah. or a bar chart and I'm, I'm basically rattling off terms that i've heard and don't <laughs> really know what they mean yeah. but how do you do that both as a professional i guess through the lens of this project but just what, what's your philosophy about kind of what kind of visualization works best for a particular kind of data well i think that it begins by um understanding what is in the data and what is the main story that you want to tell because um data have can have many attributes and so for example for a specific data you might want to tell a chronological story and so really depict your data through time and that is the visual mode that you should go for in the first place. While if you would do a scatter plot, as you said, it's because you wanted to contrast two different variables. And so really look at your data by the comparison of those two and variables. I should say for listeners, you're making an X and Y axis <laughs> yeah. with your fingers right <laughs> exactly. now, which is a very data, it's a very data, data thing, journalist thing to do. Or uh, if you're interested in the relationship between some entry points, you would make a network. So I guess it really the layout of the visualization, or you can call it the architecture of the visualization or the visual model should just follow the main, um, the main point of your story, of the story that you found in the data. So let's do one last week, which was week 36, which I found totally fascinating, which I guess was one of these kind of uh, more emotional, maybe a little more emotionally tricky weeks, which is a week of indecision. So Georgia, what was this week like for you? Yeah, well, it was a very, very particular week for me. Um, as we were saying at the beginning, uh, Stephanie and I, we're both expats, and so we live far away from our family, and my family is in Italy. And actually, that week, my grandfather passed away, and um, he has been here for a lot, for a long time, but that week, his conditions went downhill, and I seriously considered to buy a last-minute flight to, you know, to pay him a last visit, and I was really undecided about it for the whole week because, of course, your life is going on here and you have multiple stuff that you need to do. And in the end, I didn't. And he passed away. So, uh, well, 
I, I find really this week being the most intrusive because the most intrusive one since when we started Dear Data because I was dealing with my life hesitancies and I had to focus on them very badly since I needed to record them. But now, um, at the same time, I really see my postcards on a positive note, like a, a sort of homage to homage to his memory and also to my particular struggling in dealing with our distance and our missed goodbye. But do you think that the fact that you were tracking de in de decision indecision that particular week mm -hmm. actually changed your decision? There's, what is it? The like the Heisenberg principle that like by observing something you ch you you know you end up changing it. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that it it really all overwhelmed me. I think it confused me. So that was really one week that I. Uh, in in that moment, I didn't consider it as a positive way that I was tracking, as a positive thing that I was tracking in the season. I think I got confused by myself. Um, so we have to start to, to wrap up. But one just kind of larger question, which is, I, I've been following your website and other people are getting in the mix, right? People have been inspired by this. People have have started to, I guess, correspond with each other as well in this kind of way. And you've been hearing from people over the course of the year. So, so short of taking on a project like this and doing a postcard every week, kind of what other lessons are there for just quote unquote regular people who could potentially do something like this or, or take some of the lessons from a project like this and incorporate it into their life and their relationships? I think the lessons that quote, normal people could take from this is just really that um, data can be found in every part of your life from uh, things that seem almost intimidating or unapproachable, like if people are talking about big data or, or you know, data leaks or what have you to just actually just, yeah, how much you laugh. And I think um, what we're really trying to do with this project is to show that this is something this is something that is part of everyone's life. And so it is approachable. It is a part of being kind of part of being human and, and just show you that it is quite easy to start thinking about the world around you through collecting and gathering quite simple parts of your life. And, you know, even if you just collect the most mundane domestic things, you can gain small insights about the world around you. Yeah. And also, um, just to add up on that, I think that in this moment when everybody has like self-tracking apps and the data, the amount of data that this kind of app can collect about you are really, really proliferating. Um, we wanted to show that it's only by spending time with your data, it's only by adding very active contextual details to your log that you make them personal and that you can get meaning out of that. So I guess I'm saying that we shouldn't really expect an app to tell us something about ourselves uh, without any active effort and really without engaging in sense making out of that. So on that front, though, I think we want to invite our, the listeners of this podcast to to do a little bit of this. You've agreed uh, to kind of be part of a project with our listeners. So this is kind of what we're inviting people to do and, and help me kind of shape this up here as we talk it through. But uh, we were trying to think of what's a good data set that uh, the listeners to this podcast could collect. And I've heard that the listeners to this podcast also listen to other podcasts and that's okay i'm not hurt by that you're allowed to do that but we thought maybe we should have uh, a week where we decide to to catalog our podcast listening this is what we're asking listeners to do is take a week 
take stock of all the podcasts that you're listening, when and where and how and so forth. And I guess that's part of the question is like, if you were given this charge, okay, catalog your podcast listening, what, there's lots of different variables, right? There's where and when and how and what device and for how long. And so, you know, give people a sense of the, all the different angles they could attack this from. Yeah. Um... I'd just be really curious about subject matter. For example, from my perspective, I, I don't listen to as many podcasts as Georgia does, but I do listen to a lot of radio for BBC radio for like radio adaptations and comedy. Uh So, I mean, I think even subject matter would really let someone know about you through what you listen to. I think it's also interesting to see um, what are the podcasts that really keeps your attention focused. And so like when, um, what are you listening to that really get you to stay there and to stay in the podcast and what are the podcasts that somehow, I don't know, you, you get your attention span elsewhere and you probably, you know, multitask while pretending that you're listening. And that could be also a performative week where we can also ask listeners to try to be very focused and say, that's okay, let's try to listen here and make it as a negative mark if I got my attention elsewhere. Well, kind of by definition, anyone who participates in this will have been paying attention to the end of this podcast. So we thank you at least for doing that. But um, but okay, so that's the plan. We're going to ask you to catalog a week of podcast listening. So pick a week. We'll, we'll have instructions and some little more information on the site. We'll give people not one specific week, but maybe pick a week over the next, I don't know, a few weeks. And then you have to visualize this on a postcard. You have to put the visualization on the front and the legend on the back per the Dear Data rules. And you're going to mail it to me here at 538. But then you have agreed to to sort of go through these and we'll take a look at them and we'll make a gallery on the site. But then we'll pick one that we, we like uh, the most, I guess. And um They'll get a copy of the book. Is that what we've decided? Yes. When the book comes out in September? Yes, and maybe maybe we'll even draw something in the front. Yeah, well, I guess, uh, yeah, and yeah. the question is, are you guys going to participate? I guess you're a podcast listener, so maybe yeah. so. But uh, this will be this will be fun. So they, we'll, we'll throw the instructions. By the time you hear this, the instructions will be on the website and, in, and the mailing address where you can send me your postcards. And I'm going to do this, and I have, have no artistic uh, abilities whatsoever, so this will be an interesting challenge for me. Wow. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what people come up with, and then we'll, we'll keep talking. But thank you so much for joining us georgia and stephanie this was like a really inspiring project and i just um you know i'm kind of in awe so thank you thank you it was really really a pleasure thank you so that listeners if you choose to accept it is your challenge i'm going to do it and make my first ever data viz that isn't a word cloud I know a bunch of people around the office who have already said they're going to do it, so hopefully you will too, and maybe you'll help spread the word. Pick a week. It doesn't have to start on a Monday. Any seven-day stretch is fine. Gather your data and send me a postcard. Full instructions on the 538 website, 538.com slash podcasts. I really can't wait to see what you come up with. What's the Point's editor is Chadwick Matlin. Our video producer is Ryan Nantel. We have help in the studio from Tony Chow, and our intern is Jonathan Yales. Joel Werner helped mix and produce this episode. My name is Jody Avergan. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook, or you can email me at podcasts at 538.com. Our music is by Rishikesh Hirway, host of the Song Exploder podcast. 
If you're not already subscribing to Song Exploder, you should do that. And if you're not subscribed to What's the Point, you can do that in iTunes or your favorite podcast client and give us a rating and a review. The more reviews and ratings we get, the better we do in the rankings, the better we do in the rankings, the more people discover the show. And especially now that we've got this little project going, we'd love for a lot of new listeners to come into the fold. So please help spread the word. Again, full instructions and all of our other 538 podcasts at 538.com slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you soon.